Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. Hi, right, folks. Happy Wednesday, and it is a beautiful day in Texas. Uh, we have finally uh, come up from the massive waters that have been dropped on us. You know, it's interesting in my state, we will go sometimes months, literally months, and, and when it's been a drought longer than that, where we won't get any rain. And, and then we get two and a half years worth in three days. That's kind of what we've been going through in Texas. So uh, we're drying out. Today's a gorgeous day. Sun's out. Beautiful clouds. Got a nice little wind. Uh, it reminds us of why I like to be in Texas. Hope you're having a wonderful day where you're at. This is the Information Edge podcast. I'm your host, Darren Yancey. Uh, the design of this show is to cover areas in policy in multiple areas that I not only have actual expertise in, in the private sector, but some areas that I've done work in, in the public sector. And today we're going to talk about Green New Deal and green energy. Um, I'm blowing the dust off uh, a topic that I did about a year and a half ago because it's relevant again with some of the things happening, really more relevant now than it was then with Mr. Biden in the White House and stuff going on. And I start with an article that came out today. Uh, It was on uh, CNBC from the International Energy Agency. And they're, they're, they're hitting the alarm bells. They're going, we're going to have a growing gap uh, between what the policymakers are putting out and what climate's actually doing. My God, we're just having all this CO2 emitted. It's just unsustainable. Hit, hit the cowbell. Hit the alarm. I don't like that type of reporting, by the way, because it's always got something behind it. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to take a look at Basically, carbon emissions, what are they? How long have they been around? What's the real impact on them? And then we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on if we were to change our model from fossil fuels to green energy, number one, what would it take? Number two, how realistic is it? And number three, is anybody being honest with us in all the discussion in the Green New Deal? And that's a real key thing because right now, a lot of the legislation that's going through in the House Transportation Committee Committee and the Senate Commerce uh, Committee that's dealing around infrastructure, you've got a ton of Green New Deal stuff in there. They want to electrify the grid, uh, push electric vehicles. I mean, they really want to change the structure of energy in the United States. So we need to have the conversation because we're talking about trillions with a T, trillions of U.S. dollars, taxpayer dollars, they're going to go into this. And is it necessary? These are things we're going to discuss today. So let's take what the International Energy Agency just came out with, and let's start there. Okay, they're saying we're going to have uh, additional 1.5 billion metric tons of CO2 in the air this year as opposed to 2020. Now, what's the difference? Well, obviously, in 2020, we had COVID. Everybody was locked down. You couldn't go out and be yourself. Now, people are, you know, they've had cabin fever. They're wanting to get out. They're wanting to travel. They're wanting to do things. They're wanting to live their lives. 
okay, we're driving, we're in boats, we're in cars, you're going to have some of this. So here's the question. Now, first off, I want to go on record. Don't email me or call me and say, Darren, you're against, you're just against taking care of the planet. You're a heartless dude. No, I'm not. Okay. I am a green guy, but I have a different definition of green. Okay. I like to be green because, hey, when we talk about green, we can say, well, are we talking about the color of your teeth? Are we talking about the love of the Irish? No, we're talking about, in this case, the green energy. But I have a different definition of why I like to be green because I like it from a standpoint that it could be used to make you independent from an electrical grid that you're constantly paying on. You can never get away from. That's what I like about it. But I also know the limitations of it because I put my own capital into green energy projects, working with some of the top minds that develop some, some great technologies for NASA and DARPA. So I know what it can do and I know what it can't do. And so when I give you my opinions, that's the basis that it's coming from. I want you to keep that in mind. So here's what the EIA comes out there. They're ringing a bell. Now let's look at some other stuff. Um, some of you may have not heard of what's called the CO2 coalition, but they are basically, I don't want to say they're an anti-climate change uh, organization, but I think they bring a realistic perspective of what climate change is and is not. There's an article that came out here uh, a, really a little over a month ago, and what it's pushing, and this came from the, the NASA website, by the way. This wasn't just something that somebody pushed out of the air. And it comes under the Earth section of NASA. If you go to NASA, it's got all kinds of stuff, but basically what they're talking about is with there is, has been some increased CO2 levels. I don't think anybody can deny that. I think what the argument is, is it detrimental to the planet or not? And if it is detrimental, how detrimental to the planet? And what can be done about it if it is detrimental? Or can you have balance? Now, these are logical conversations that you should be having with those in elected office that are making policy that they want your tax dollars to enforce that policy. So let's look at it. Basically, what NASA has said is that while there has been increased carbon levels over the last 35 years, over a quarter to half of the Earth's vegetated lands have also shown significant greening over the last 35 years due to the rising of the atmospheric carbon dioxide. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to when we started learning about this thing called photosynthesis. Now, depending on your education, you may have learned about it in elementary school. You might have learned about it in junior high. You better have learned about it before you got to high school. But what is photosynthesis? Well, that's, that's the, the process of how plants convert carbon dioxide into the necessary food nutrients. Oh, wait, I forgot. Plants have to have carbon dioxide. Plants are our natural filter for any harm that can come by carbon dioxide, but they have to have it. So obviously we've had an increasing level because the planet is greening up. Now, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. Now here's the other question. We go, okay, well, can it go too far? Could it increase temperatures? It could. A lot of the models that are saying it's going to go ballistic are computer generated and the data, the actual NASA data that they're, that they're pulling up, it doesn't support it. Okay, so but you do have to go. Well, what's where's that limit? How do we stop it from going from greening to Armageddon? Okay, that's that's a log logistical and that's an actual conversation that needs to be had. I think most of that has to do with deforestation. 
Okay. If we are taking away the natural filter that the planet provides for us, then you're going to have some problems. So that's where you need to strike the balance. But the alarmist that you're hearing in the media is that if we don't change things, if we don't get away from fossil fuels, if we don't stop to burn by 2030, it's just we're all going to be gone by the massive wave that comes crashing over us. Well, the doomsayers and the naysayers of the past, none of them have been correct. And folks, this is a discussion that goes back to the 60s. This is not a new discussion. So this is something we want to go through. But basically what they're talking about is the results showing carbon dioxide fertilization, it explains about 70% of the greening effect that they're seeing on planet Earth. We're talking a global thing. So what does that mean? That means we can grow more food. Okay. Here's what it also means. It means that they can not only can grow more food, but we're not having to have uh, is it, it, get my mouth working here. We have an increase in plant growth of 40 to 60%. Okay. So that's growing more food. So the food production, when you equate that plant growth is about 30% more. That means we can feed more people. Last time I checked, population is going up and it's a reduction in water usage through less loss of water vapor. Okay. These are scientific facts. Now, I do want to go out there and say, just like I was saying a minute ago, we don't want to go unchecked and unchallenged, but look, let's be honest. We're seeing some positive benefits of some increased carbon dioxide. The question is going to be how much is too much. Okay. That's something for the scientists to go through, but here's the other side of the question the alarming things that we're seeing from the media and from certain parties and politicians where they're saying, if we don't make these energy changes now, or we're going to die, is that accurate? I think the data that's showing out there right now is that it's not. So then the real question is going to be, why do we need to have a massive change in our energy structure versus what we're doing right now? Is it number one, is it feasible? We're going to start covering that in the next segment. Number two, is it affordable? Can we afford it? Those are questions that you have to go through. And then we start looking into, are the policies that are being pushed really about having balance for what's happening naturally right now through our development, or is it just a push to control energy and thus control how people live, which I'm going to give you, I'm going to show my cards a little bit. That's kind of what I think it is, okay? I'm just throwing out, out there as my opinion, but it's important that we look at these things because you're going to be, you've got elected officials right now in Washington, D.C., on both the House side and on the Senate side that are considering massive, and I mean massive, generational spending bills, trillions of dollars with a T, redefining infrastructure to codify a movement that has never been codified before. What I, what I say codify. Well, if they want to go in and say, well, we want to provide housing structure to the poor and we want it as part of infrastructure, well, you're codifying that if they make it law. If they say, I would like to come in and put, um, instead of just doing roads and bridges, we want to do bikeways and walkways in certain cities now, which is traditionally a municipality expense, well, then you're codifying that action. And that's what's going through right now on both sides, as well as different ways to pay for all this that could impede your freedoms. 
freedoms. Well, I'm, I tell you what, my mouth is not working properly. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast. Darren Yancey here on the Voice America Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back. Remember, this is a live show, 866-472-5788, if you wish to opine. We have two rules. Number one, we discuss. We don't yell. And we don't use profanity. I expect you to use your intelligentsia, uh, come up with creative adjectives and verbs other than foul mouth language. I don't put up with it. I didn't. I don't put up with it with my kids. I won't put up for someone that's listening to us. Other than that, hey, and it, it doesn't have to be the topic that we're talking about either. I've got a pretty broad array we can get into. But what today we are talking about the Green New Deal, green energy, how it relates, and is it a is it real? B is it practical? And C, is it affordable? And then D, what's the reason for the current push? In the last segment, we talked about reality, what's going on scientifically. And I think I gave you enough evidence there to show that, yes, carbon emissions have increased, but the planet's benefiting from it. So the question is, is there there an edge of where it becomes detrimental? And I think that boils down to deforestation, 
are we eliminating the natural filters? If you've got enough natural filters out there where that CO2 is being processed, I think we're going to be fine. Here's the other thing you want to look at, uh, and I think this is positive, is do we have the proper emissions reducing technologies in our transportation? Uh, I can tell you right now from, uh, because I'm involved in this on our Friday show, the automobile industry right now on these new cars coming out, they've got emissions down to where it's almost water coming out of the tailpipe. Now, does the diesel technologies need to get a little more caught up? Do you have more stuff coming out of the tailpipe? Yes, you do. And I want to see that go through. And I think you're also seeing it in the jet line. So those are things I think are continually positive to keep working on. And I've been around long enough, okay? I hate to say this, but I've been around long enough to actually remember real air pollution, okay? I grew up in the 70s. We had real air pollution. I remember real water pollution. There was things you couldn't get into. And if you did, you probably lost your hide coming out of it. We don't want to go back to that. Okay. But at the same time, I don't want to be living in a mud hut on my butt because somebody in Congress is a nutball and have convinced enough other nutballs to pass legislation that are not to my or your benefit. Okay. So I think let's, we've taken section A. Now let's talk about is it practical? Could, let's say someone goes, all right, we want to flip a switch and we want to become green all of a sudden. We want to be 100% green. Can we do it? Is it feasible to actually be 100% green? Well, let's talk about statistics of what it does to power the United States. Now, I'm, go, I'm referencing a blog that I did. If you go to my site, informationedge.net, scroll down the blog, January 3, 2020, I have a, a blog called Green by Any Means. And it's got a, a lot of what we're talking about here. It's also got some of the reference sites of what we're talking about in terms of where you can go to reference. One of those is the, basically, uh, well, we'll call it the, uh, it's, well, it's the Energy administration or the energy information administration put out by the United States. There's an international version of it as well. Okay. Now the blog I had had 2018 data. So we're going to update that data, but this is pretty, uh, matter of fact, this is as of two months ago and I'm reading from the site, the utility scale electrical generation by source for the United States in 2020 was over 4,009 billion kilowatt hours. That's a lot of juice, my friends, to power the country. What's the breakdown? Okay, this is where we get into what are we doing and can we go the other way? Natural gas and fossil fuels account for 60% of the production in the United States and internationally, that's pretty close to that. Okay, of that fossil fuels, natural gas is 40%. And by the way, natural gas is starting to be painted by a certain segment as it being a dirty fuel because it's a fossil fuel. Well, that's not the case. Yes, you have to frack to get to it. Yes, you've got to be environmentally conscious, but it's producing 40% of our energy. Coal is producing 19.3. Now, that is down from 28% from just a few years ago. And there's reasons for that. Right now, you've got a trifecta between insurance, not wanting to insure projects of coal anymore. You've also got the Paris Accord Agreement that says, we don't want to be a part of coal anymore. And then you've got the third part of that trifecta, the finance sectors no longer are trying to put money into coal. Okay. So you've got something that's dropped from 28% down to 20. Here's something these people don't understand. And, and it drives me insane. And I know this for a fact, because I've got money into a system that develops it. And if, for, the, for you 
liberal environmentalists out there, I'm going to tell you something about coal that hasn't come out and very few people know about it, but I'm going to tell you a little secret right now. Do you know that if you want to make a biofuel system that will make more biofuel than you can possibly keep up with and you want to run it through a thermal fluid system, do you know what it needs to go in, from a normal process of production to a man, monstrosity process? It's called carbon called carbon capture and if you capture carbon and put it into those systems do you know that you could make more biofuel than you could possibly keep up with do you know that you could possibly actually replace the current gasoline usage and production that's coming from u.s oil and do you know what the best source of that carbon production is coal-fired plants just something to think about right there so you could actually be phasing out one of the best sources for carbon fuel to grow biofuel. A lot of folks don't know about that, but it is, is a fact. So what's the other? Then you've got petroleum in various cases taking up the other 17%. Nuclear has been steady at about 20% for a long period of time. That hasn't been changing. Renewables is at right at about 20%. That hasn't been changing. Um, so, okay. So what do you got? You got fossil fuels, nuclear, and renewable. So, if we were going to go 100% green, what does that mean? Well, by definition, what the go green by any means community is, they want to take that 60% and wipe it away. It ain't there anymore. You're not going to get warm by coal or oil or natural gas. If that's how you survive, freeze unless it's produced by renewables. Okay, so let's talk about how practical is renewable energy in replacing that 60% just in the U.S.? It's roughly equivalent worldwide, but let's just focus on the U.S. for a moment, okay? So here's the other problem that you have with renewables. Now, when I classify renewables, I'm talking specifically solar, wind. Those are your two big ones because uh, wind of that 20% is about 8.4. You've got solar is at about 2.3. A lot of people don't realize it's that low. Hydro is your other big one at 7.3. You're limited to, you've got to be close to a water source, but hydro is a wonderful source. I'm all for hydro, okay? Here's the problem. To overtake that 60%, that means they've got to triple the output of the current renewables. Folks, have you seen a solar, a, an industrial solar application? It takes up hundreds of acres, sometimes thousands. Same thing for wind. It's a very land-intensive operation. Hydropower, if you're not on a dam and you're not pulling it from the dam, if you're, say, pulling it from a river, you've got tidal, you've got hydro, that means you've got to interfere with the natural flow. You've got to put a bunch of stuff in there. So what's the actual realistic possibility of going 100% green with those technologies? Um, very low. Very, very low. Now, Back in December on my Friday show, I had a gentleman on the uh, from what's called ACOR, which is the American Council on Renewable Energy. They're, they're kind of a think tank. They're a nonprofit. They're not a division of the government, but the government does pay a lot of attention to what they recommend. I had Gregory Whetstone, who was the president and CEO, on my Friday show, and we started talking about the Green New Deal because I know I know about renewables. I know about what's going on. And I asked him an honest question. I said, okay, 
we got a new administration coming in. They're going to start beating us up to death on the Green New Deal. How realistic is the Green New Deal with renewable? And I named the same technologies I'm talking to you. He said, it's impossible. I said, well, then <clears throat> how are we supposed to do this? He said, well, there's only one way it can be done. And I said, and that is, he said, you must have nuclear technology take over for where the others were going through. And I said, really? And he said, absolutely. He said, without nuclear technology, he said, there is no Green New Deal. He said, it is impossible for renewables, for the same reason we talked about, land-intensive applications to be that part. So I had been keeping up with nuclear a little bit before that, but I've really been focusing on it since. And what I want you to know is you're going to start seeing the buzzwords. If you have not already seen them already, you're going to start seeing things like carbon-free energy. That's nuclear energy. The new nuclear is carbon-free. And I'm going to give you in the next segment, I'm going to give you some sites that you can go to and you can research this. And you're starting to see massive amounts of government money pouring into what is considered new nuclear technology. Now, there's a lot of questions that come with nuclear technology. I'm not an anti-nuke guy, okay? Where I live, my particular county is adjacent to another county, which has um, what's called the Comanche Peak Nuclear Reactor. It was built in the late 80s. It's been operational since, I want to say, 1989 or 1990. It has been running like a champ. Um, it's not had any problems. The only issue with that particular facility is it is because of the technology, it's water intensive and it's right off of the Brazos River. And the Brazos River has to basically, what the Brazos River is, it's actually managed by a government authority. I was on that board and they sell that water. So that water moves in, that water moves out. And the current nuclear technology is a very, uh, it's a very water intensive application. That doesn't mean it's a bad application. It just means it's water intensive. That plant has been very good and it provides a ton of power. But I also know this, that plant was five years overrun on the construction cost and billions, not millions, billions of dollars in cost overruns. Now, whether it was not budgeted properly, labor changed, I can't tell you it's been too long. I just know that was one of the things that plagued it. It's been long enough now, all that's been amortized. And I would say right now it's a cash cow and it's doing everything it's supposed to do. But nuclear energy by most people's definition is not considered a clean energy. Why? Because of nuclear waste. And what do we hear about nuclear waste? Well, it's got a 50-year or 100-year half-life, and it's not going to go away, and you got to be careful where you store it and all kinds of problems. So is nuclear the answer? I don't know, but it's something that you're going to start hearing. So when you hear the words carbon-free energy, click your ears up. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey on the Voice America Radio Network. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. 
Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. Today, we're going over the Green New Deal. Now, in the first segment, we talked about is, is carbon emissions, is that a real thing? And, and, and it is. But it's not the detrimental death harangue that's being put out there. We do need to watch it. We do need to make sure that we're doing good things. We want to be sure we're keeping the natural filters out there. But we're not about to die by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Then we're talking about in the second segment, if someone said, let's flip a switch, is it practical? Well, in terms of the energy that can be produced from what you would consider traditional renewables, it is not by any stretch of the imagination for the United States or for the world, for that matter, because these are heavy land applications that have come through and they just take a lot of land. Um, So it's not feasible to put that through. But then we talked about something that came up from an interview that I did with the gentleman from the American Council on Renewable Energy or ACOR, and that was nuclear energy. Um, he basically told me that nuclear energy is going to be the cornerstone and foundation for the Green New Deal, and that the Green New Deal, by the way, is not feasible without nuclear energy. Now, what's interesting is in the talk of all this, we've got Joe Biden, who came out (laughs) uh, yesterday and was talking Basically said this, and this came out, says Joe Biden goes off script and admits that unilateral U.S. action on climate change is pointless. If we do everything perfectly, it's not going to ultimately matter. Now, that's currently on the CO2coalition.org website down on their Facebook blog, but it was out there kind of, it, it, it didn't get the news that it wanted because it doesn't push the narrative. And I think with Joe, you know, look, he, he's been known as being a gaff factory. Okay. If you just put the cameras on him and let him talk eventually, I mean, 
you, you can't help but get material. And God knows I'm going to feed. I'm going to be like a pig and feed at the trough for the next however much long he's going to be there, whether he gets impeached, whether he gets dementia, whether he does a full term. I'm going to feed at that trough and I'm going to enjoy it the full time. But the reality is the current president who signed the Paris Accord, who's pushing all this climate change, has come out and said, hey, <laughs> it really doesn't matter. And you know what? I'm glad he was honest about it because now we can use that and say, well, let's just hold off on all this money because folks were talking about a lot of money. But in the interim, something's been thrown out that nobody's talking about. Okay. You're not going to find it anywhere on any type of media. I'm the only one that's talking about it right now. I'm going to tell you where to go so you can find it. First off, you need to go to my, my page, informationedge.net. You'll have the topics, the show topics drop down and it's got uh, all the different stuff. One of them is energy and stuff. You can go over for renewables and on nuclear, there's something that'll take you over to uh, the page that I was talking with you about. And it is, it's basically the, the, the international nuclear agency and it has everything on there. They're promoting carbon free. Nuclear is no longer dirty. It's carbon free. Now you might go, Karen, that doesn't sound right. I know it's got waste. We won't know it's done good, but it's got waste. How's that going to be the savior? I don't have all the answers. I have been hunting down the companies that are part of what's supposed to be the new nuclear technologies. And when I say the new nuclear technologies, what I've been told by peripheral sources, I have not heard this from the horse's mouth, but from peripheral sources is that the new nuclear technologies are effectively supposed to be um, the savior of the mistakes of the old technologies. What do I mean by that? They're supposed to be able to use less water. They're supposed to be able to produce higher temperatures. And they're supposed to be able to work off the waste of the old technologies. Now, I got to tell you, on the surface, that sounds pretty good. It really does. Because we're taking some of the current issues and going through. Here's what we don't have. If you're going to replace fossil fuels, which is 60% of your energy production by kilowatt hours in the United States, and nuclear is only 20% of that right now, can you do the same? Let's say if we let's say it's taking, and I don't know, I don't know the number of, I probably should have got this, but I don't know the number of reactors that are out there. If we had, let's say there's 10 reactors, does that mean that we now need 30 more reactors to produce the same amount of energy? to replace what we would lose with fossil fuels. Or do these new micro-reactors, do we only need five? Do we need 10? These are questions we don't know. Here's the other thing. What's it going to cost? Okay. I know the old reactors, simply because of the land, the application, the safety, all that. I mean, these are multi-billion dollar applications. Is the new renewable energy classification of nuclear as a carbon-free energy What's it going to cost? And I got to tell you something. This has not been easy information. I have reached out to three different companies and I've gotten one of them, um, <laughs> which actually involves Bill Gates, basically said, no, thank you. Uh, another one, which is Kionos, they're in the middle of going through an IPO right now. And they're like, we'd like to talk to you, but we need to raise money. And then the third one that's out there, I'm trying to get some traction between you can't get a direct call in. You got to go through their website and then respond and respond back and all that. But I'm trying to find some things, these things out because 
I want to go through. At the same time, I've, I've reached out to the International uh, Nuclear Association and said, hey, can you get somebody to come on the show and let's talk about this? And I will tell you, it's kind of like I've tripped a claw across a clandestine mine. It's kind of, you, you, you want us to talk about it? Well, yeah, because I can tell you right now, and I'm, and I'm going to give you the site in the next segment. There's government money in, in billions and billions of dollars right now, right now. That's going to these companies with these technologies for development. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, by the way. But here's the question. When oil and gas is doing its development, does the government give them money up front or do they give them tax credits? Now, I know there's a lot of you that say, well, they shouldn't give them tax credits. And you know what? I don't disagree with that. But if those tax credits are given for employment and, and reinvesting, I don't have a problem with that. But I can understand someone going, I don't think oil and gas should get any tax credits. I, I can actually understand that. But we got to look at where the balance is to encourage. The same thing that we're seeing right now with nuclear, I'm, and I'm going to give you specifics, billions that are going into research, why are we doing it up front? Why not let the private sector fund that research? See, the problem that we're getting into right now, ladies and gentlemen, is we've got way too much government overreach saying, we're going to take your tax monies and we're going to do R&D and we're going to do distribution and go through. I'll give you a perfect example. One of the things, and I didn't like this when Mr. Trump was in office, and I don't like it, in fact, with Mr. Biden being in office, uh, is the definition of having internet as infrastructure, okay? I don't think that's infrastructure. I think that's communications. And I think the people that put in those communications should pay for that because they're going to charge you for it in using their service. I don't think my tax dollars should go into developing something that ultimately I'm going to have to pay for again through the usage. That's how it used to be. If you want to do something, you go out and do it. Well, now there's too much government paying for things. So is it correct for the government to be developing nuclear technology with tax dollars when we have the private sector out there with a whole lot of investment money? That's a good question. I don't have the answer for that right now, but it makes you think. Here's what I, I can tell you from what I've gleaned and everything that I'm finding is there is a large political coalition of both Republicans and Democrats that are getting behind the new nuclear technology that's coming out. Okay, it's happening. Um, when I give you the site at the, in, in, in the next segment, you're going to kind of scratch your head and go, whoa. I mean, there's a big move. So is that done to be part of the Green New Deal? I don't know. Or is it done because they simply they think this is the better way to have energy in the future? I can't answer that either. Here's the big question. I don't have a problem with nuclear energy when it's maintained safely. We've seen problems with it. We saw problems with Three Mile Island in the 70s. We saw the problems back in the 80s with obviously Chernobyl over there. Uh, but you've had a long, 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 long period of time. You haven't had any issues with nuclear. Okay, The Fukushima plant over in Japan, that was a bad logistical location in terms of what happened with a natural disaster event. It was not an engineering issue where something failed because of poor plant design. Nuclear, for the most part, has been pretty doggone reliable. So I don't have an issue discussing it as a potential either supplement or, hey, possible replacement. Look, here's the problem I get into when we start talking about replacement. The oil and gas industry does employ a substantial amount of people. 
both as independent contractors, employees for companies. Uh, there's technologies that come out of the development. And here's something people keep forgetting about. Um, oil in its basic state of petroleum is not just used in cars. It's used in chemicals. It's used in medicines. There's a significant amount of things that are derivatives from the base petroleum product. If you eliminate the fossil fuel industry, you eliminate those benefits. And there's a lot of products and goods that you would not have without petroleum. This is something people don't think about when they hear all this, well, we must get rid of fossil fuels. So the question is, is that an underlying agenda? We're gonna address that in the next segment. But getting away from that, I, I think you have to look at it. Could nuclear potentially be a supplement um, for a growing nation, a growing globe that needs more energy? Uh, look, one of the biggest energy hogs that's out there right now, every one of you that ha that's listened to this podcast and all of your friends and neighbors have probably got some type of data device, either a phone or an iPad uh, or a computer that needs data. We're running on data. Well, guess what? The, the cloud is not really a cloud. Somewhere it's a data center. And data centers are some of the most energy hungry. And I mean, they gobble up power. They're most energy hungry applications that we have on the planet. And we're feeding that beast like nobody's business. So if you want to continue to have the things, you better have the power. So the real question is going to be in if nuclear can, if it could really take that 60% that fossil fuels are playing, do you really supplement it or do you increase it in, in conjunction with that way you can continue to have things. There's going to be people who say, hey, we want the balance. Then there's going to be those out there that are just far kooks that are going to tell you, oh, no, we must get rid of anything fossil fuel related. And they don't think of what it actually produces in other technologies, technologies that come out of it from the research and development, the financial impact. And some of them, they really don't care. Uh, that's not what we on the show. You're going to find I care about how things come through. And that's why we're here explaining this today. Wow. Segments go by fast. It's time to take another break. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. We're going to pay a few bills and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back. It's our final segment. We're covering green by any means. And uh, we kind of been checking off a few boxes. Number one is, is greenhouse global warming. Is it real? Yeah, it is real. Planet's greening up. The question is, is uh, does it mean we're going to die by 2030? And I think the facts are we're not. Um, keep the filters out there. Keep things going. We've talked about feasibility in terms of renewable technology. In terms of what has been traditional, solar, wind, hydro, and related biomass, um, it would be virtually impossible to make either the United States or the planet green by that technology because of the land-intensive applications. But then there's been a wild card introduced called nuclear technology being remarketed, repackaged. You've got new generation technology reactors coming out, and now it's carbon-free. So is that the catalyst to the Green New Deal? And if it is, we want to know how much power, what's the environmental impact, what's the cost, okay? Is this something the taxpayers can get behind? Well, right now, you're getting behind it whether you want to or not. So I'm going to give you, and if you go to the site, okay, informationedge.net, and by the way, it's a resource site for you to go through here. Go to show topics, go to energy and natural resources, go to nuclear, and by golly, there's energy, excuse me, Nuclear Energy Institute also called NEI.org, and it will sit there and tell you it's got lots of stuff in it. Uh, They've got a blog. Even as support for carbon-free energy grows, plants could still face closure. (laughs) New climate finance plans making room for nuclear energy. This is a very resourceful site. You start going through here and start reading some of this stuff, and you're going to realize right now there's actual money going into this big time, okay? There's action taken, conferences, voices for nuclear energy okay well darren what's a voice for nuclear energy these are the politicos then they they classify and they're honest about said what can dc politicos and silicon valley entrepreneurs environmentalists and business leaders conservatives and liberals national security experts and celebrity finally agree clean energy now the one that scares the snot out of me at the top of the names is bill gates okay Last time I checked, Bill made his fortunes in the computer industry. Uh, He's out there talking about vaccines. The guy, he's not a doctor. I don't care if he paid money for it. And now he's in the global nuclear equation. And one of the companies, and I'm not going to name the company. Um, I had second thoughts, and I think it could bring some legal heat. 
But Bill Gates is actually involved in one of the new nuclear technology companies. You'll have to do the research on that one. But you can go, they'll, the, Robert Downey Jr. is there. <gasps> Senator Cory Booker. Senator Lisa Murkowski. <gasps> Ethan Zindler. Bloomberg New Energy. And then they just go on. They got Dana Perino uh, that's in there. You know, these are people, these are, these are names that uh, there's a certain segment of the population. They'll hear this and they'll go, oh, my, oh, oh, well, if they're supporting it, I just, I have to get behind it. And, and look, I'm not saying name dropping is a bad thing for a cause. I'm looking, is the technology worthwhile? I will tell you this from what I've read in some of the, the trade magazines on new generation nuclear reactors. This could be a big thing. I, I don't want to go through it. But I will tell you right now, when you go to the news and you start reading through some of these blogs, it talks about specific funding programs that are already coming out of the Senate and the House. Billions and billions of dollars. I am not a fan of funding a technology that I'm going to have to pay for in a user fee at a database. And I don't think that's the government's right to do that unless they ask us for permission. Just like I told you about infrastructure. So that's my only issue with this right now. But I will say this, at least they do come out and say new climate finance plans make room for nuclear energy. And that is a private enterprise endeavor that they're trying to go through. So they're not just trying to completely live off of the, uh, the government, you know what, but it, it needs more. I want to know more. I'm not going to throw it out. I'm not going to say it can replace fossil fuels. I'm not going to say it can supplement, but I, here's what I can tell you of this. Right now, there are big, big pushes. It's going to start the House Transportation Committee. It's going to go over to the Senate Commerce and Energy Committee, and they're going to talk about infrastructure. And part of the big thing with infrastructure is, number one, expanding what is the definition, as we discussed earlier. But one of the huge things they're talking about is electrification of the grid and for the rollout for more electric vehicles. That's the bottom line. That's what's happening here. Now, you might go, well, Darren, that doesn't sound like a bad deal. I like electric cars. Hey, folks, if you like electric cars, fantastic. But here are some problems with electric cars. Number one, uh, the, the government is giving $7,500 of your and my money to someone that buys an electric car when they go off the lot. That means there's a problem there with the market response. If it's a good quality vehicle, it shouldn't have a problem. And by the way, I think what Tesla puts out is a killer product. There's some stuff coming out from all the manufacturers. Uh, Ford's got a new uh, the Mustang. It's supposed to be pretty nice. Uh, I know we're seeing products in Chevy, Mercedes. I mean, there's a lot of electric cars. There's some cool cars. And by the way, they're, they're hot rods. They're not pigs in a poke. Okay. From that perspective, I'm about performance. Here's the problem with current electric technology. For most people, it's not going to fit their lives. Okay, you need 12 to 14 hours to charge something that you're going to burn up in a very short period of time. And until there is some type of infrastructure that can handle it, and that's what they're wanting to do is pay for that. Well, how do we know it's the final bid? And here's the other problem. There's other technologies coming out in, in hydrogen and in fuel cells that could actually upend and replace electricity for transportation. What if that happens and we spent trillions of dollars on an infrastructure that no longer applies? You don't get that money back. Here's the other problem. 
What we're also seeing is the satisfaction in electric cars. A lot of folks have a second one because in California, which is the by far the electric car state, what we're starting to see now is one in five electric vehicle owners switching back to gas because charging their cars is a hassle. This is actually something that came out from MSNBC. Not one of my fan places to go for resource, but if it's something that's applicable and true and occasionally they have a nugget, I'll put it in there. The challenge that we've got is it's still undecided. So do you want these people spending trillions of dollars on what could be the wrong technology to invest in? More importantly, is it at the government's role to do that? That's really what this boils down to. I don't have a problem with ridges and bridges and roads and all that good stuff, but in terms of redefining infrastructure and pushing a form of transportation that not everybody has embraced. Matter of fact, I would say a minority have embraced, not even majority. It's a question. So it really boils down to why the big push? And there's only really one answer. This gets down to control of lifestyle. If an energy transformation can occur and a new segment controls that energy transformation that powers your home, that powers your car, and powers your life, then they have control over your life. And oh, by the way, just so you know, if we went 100% electric tomorrow, if every car was out there was electric, our current electrical grid in the United States could not support it. That's fact. So to go 100% electric, we got to. You can't really replace fossil fuels with nuclear. You need it in addition to, and that's an honest conversation that nobody's having. And elected officials need to be held accountable. You need to call them. These two committees, senators, Republicans, just ask them. Hey, there's some questions. We'd like answers. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And if they haven't, why haven't they? You have put people in office that are responsible to you, not the other way around. Make them do their job. Hold them accountable. I'm not saying that electric might not be the future, but right now I'm not convinced. There's not enough people getting into it. There's too many problems with charging issues. There are environmental issues with batteries. And I think we need to slow down before we start spending two to potentially $4 trillion on what could be the biggest boondoggle uh, in government history. It's my money. It's your money. We want it spent better. All right, folks, it's been a wonderful pleasure having this time with you today. Remember, you can follow me on social media at DG Yancey on Twitter, on Gab, and on Parler. You can find me on Facebook at Information Edge, and as well as LinkedIn at Darren Yancey. Um, we're having a wonderful time bringing this stuff to you. I want everybody to know that I appreciate all of the emails I get, all the social media. I do read it as much as possible. It does go into some of the stuff that we put out. So keep sending it, and I'll keep putting it out here on the podcast for you to enjoy. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey on the Voice America Radio Network, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Come back. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.